podcast of sermons by Pastor Charles St. Ange, LCMS Missionary in Montreal, Quebec, and the Caribbean. It's well known to any of us who have read Paul's two letters to the churches in Corinth that the church in Corinth had issues, a lot of them, especially if you read 1 Corinthians, which starts out with these beautiful words, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And then it's all downhill from there on in. We've got lawsuits within the church. We have a man who's sleeping with his stepmother. We've got people trying to one-up one another in terms of what their spiritual gifts are. Well, I speak in five tongues. Well, I speak in six. Well, I can prophesy. Well, I can prophesy in two different languages. So finally, Paul had to simply come and address each and every one of those issues. Even so, he still calls them saints. Now, 2 Corinthians, which is what we've been looking at for the last little while, doesn't get into quite the same level of general or specificity as 1 Corinthians. It's much more of a general letter, but there are still serious issues in the church. And the general problem that Paul finally gets down to, that he sees as behind all of the more specific problems in Corinth, is in our epistle lesson for today, where Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Paul sees Christ's work among his people as the work of widening narrow hearts. That's what he's doing. It is the chief work of the Holy Spirit to go into hearts that have become hard and calloused and cold towards God and towards their neighbor and come and break them and replace them with a heart of flesh that beats in rejoicing and thanksgiving towards God and in love for our neighbors. And of course, as Jesus says, your neighbor is everyone. Now, how do the Corinthians' hearts narrow? What does it look like to have a narrow heart, especially in our epistle for today? Well, I think there's two possibilities that Paul addresses. One is that the Corinthians really, really, really thought that if they became Christian, everything in their life would get better. All the problems they have would just evaporate, and they would be on easy street from there on in. So Paul is to write to them and say, look, we're the apostles of Jesus Christ. We have been set aside to be sent out into the world as his messengers. In 2 Corinthians, Paul even says we are ambassadors, and we all know how our governments treat ambassadors with a lot of honor and respect and a good house and their own car and their own cook, we look after them. Nonetheless, Paul says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, 
not with things going well, but by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. Now, who wants to sign up for an ambassadorship knowing that that is what awaits you for representing your government? But Paul says, look at us. Do you think that the minute we became apostles, we were put onto easy street? Quite the contrary. We suddenly found the entire world opposing the message that we were trying to preach. Now, the reality is a great many people, as I said, do join the church, and it's even happened here at Ascension, thinking once we get baptized, once we confirm our faith, once we participate in the Lord's Supper, then we're going to get a better job, our sicknesses are going to disappear, we're going to get pregnant, we're going to find the love of our life, and the list goes on. And what happens when those things don't quite come to pass. People's hearts get hardened. They're hardened against Christ because he's not doing for them the things that he ought to. And so Paul goes on to say as an apostle that he's treated as an imposter, but remains true. He's treated as unknown, but well-known, as dying, and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Narrow hearts in Corinth look at the apostles as failures, Paul especially. Why should we listen to anything you have to say? What has Jesus done for you lately? Look at the hardships. Look at not being recognized, as dying, as being punished, as being poor. Paul, whose heart has been widened, sees the opposite. He remembers the very first sermon that Jesus preached according to Matthew's gospel, right after Jesus' very short sermon of repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The first words after that are the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted, which, of course, is the complete opposite of what the world says, right? The poor are not blessed. They're oppressed. The meek are going to get trampled by the strong. And those who are persecuted are clearly the ones that God has simply forgotten. But because Paul's heart has been made wide in Christ, he sees beyond the visible things, the obvious things, to the hidden truth of God's work in the world. That in Christ, even while in prison, Paul is living, he is true, he is rejoicing, he is making others spiritually rich, and he possesses everything because he possesses God in Christ Jesus. And if one has God, what more does one need? That's the first reason why I think the Corinthians are struggling with narrow hearts. The second is they're trying to follow the wrong law. Well, maybe if we're just more moral people, if we're more disciplined people, if we're more focused on the law, then God will bless us. Then things will go well. 
And that's why Paul has to write to them and say, you're not restricted by us. It's not like we showed up and laid a whole bunch of new regulations and rules on your doorstep. You are restricted, Paul writes, in your own affections. Now, you all know people, especially here in Quebec, who say religion is all about stopping you from doing fun things. Religion is just a cramp on your existence. Christianity is just this list of rules of things to do and things not to do. Paul says, au contraire. It's actually quite the opposite. Christ has come into the world to break you free from those rules and give you wider hearts so that the rules now can't restrict you from doing the right thing. The Ten Commandments become the lowest common denominator, and Paul says you can go beyond that. Remember the Sabbath day? You can pray to God any time you want, not just one day a week. You shall not murder. Actually, you can go out there and look after your neighbor now while they're still alive before a murderer happens to come upon them. Let your hearts be widened, Paul says, because that is the true work of Christ. It's why after Paul has to lay on all of the heavy wording in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 11 in saying, you guys are really struggling with this faith thing, aren't you? Finally, at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, but let me show you a still more excellent way. And in 1 Corinthians 13, launches into that beautiful hymn about the love of Christ. Love bears all things, endures all things, suffers all things. Love never ends. Love overflows because Christ has broadened your heart. The problem, of course, is that we live in a world of really, really narrow hearts. Especially amongst the people that originally thought that what they were doing was fighting back against religion. Oh, we're going to show you what it means to truly be just, to truly be loving. And after a few decades of that, it's actually turned on itself and gotten worse so that we're raising a generation not of wider hearts, but a generation that would have been totally understandable to Paul of narrow, narrow affections. I was reading just this week a letter that was written by a Nigerian writer, very famous feminist writer, Chimamanda Adichie. And Chimamanda had this to say. In certain young people today, I notice what I find increasingly troubling. A cold-blooded grasping. A hunger to take and take and take. An expectation always to be helped and rewarded, no matter whether deserving or not. An astonishing level of self-absorption. An unrealistic expectation of puritanism from others. An inability to apologize truly and fully without justifying themselves. I've spoken to young people who tell me they are terrified to tweet anything. That they read and reread their tweets because they fear they will be attacked by their peers. The assumption of good faith is dead. What matters is not goodness, but the appearance of goodness. 
We are no longer human beings. We are now angels jostling to out-angel one another. God help us. It is obscene. To which Paul would say, no, it's not. It's in fact quite normal. Because the normal human state of affairs is hardened hearts, narrow hearts, small affections. We love those who love us. We do good to those who do good to us. We hate those who are our enemies. And we show no grace. Do you know how Paul knew that? Because that's who he used to be. I'm amazed at how many people don't know the first part of Paul's story. Yeah, they know that he goes on to write all of these letters in the New Testament, but they forget that he was the number one persecutor of the Christian church, at least in his own words. Near the end of the book of Acts, as he appears before King Herod Agrippa, he says to him, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul knew that his heart was hard and small and narrow until Jesus tore it wide open. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul knew then what it was to be a sinner. It was to hate what Jesus was trying to do to hate the work he was trying to accomplish in bringing grace into the world, in saying, I will no longer hold your sins against you. I will forgive you. And in my forgiveness, I will widen your hearts. And so the call for us today, if I might quibble a little bit with Paul's words, I know we're not supposed to do that, but I'm really taking the spirit of what he's saying, is that we are not to widen our own hearts. If you've ever tried that, you will find that it is excessively hard. Trying to make yourself kinder, make yourself more loving, make yourself more generous, be able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and show grace to those who have shown you nothing but persecution. In fact, the calling that each of us has is to sit and listen to Jesus that he might widen our hearts. The call to you and I is to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. This is precisely why we call ourselves the good news place, because outside of these walls and out there on the internet, you can get all the bad news you want. Right? 
I called my mother this morning. Memory of the fact that my father is no longer with us. And I know it's a tough day. It's been a long pandemic. She's been by herself. Most of the time we used to visit her at least every couple of weeks. And now we really only see her rarely, mostly by Zoom. And the first thing she shared with me was the mass shooting in Toronto, which happened this morning. Three children hit by gunfire. You're not going to get good news on TV. You're not going to get good news doom scrolling the internet. You're not going to get good news on YouTube unless it's cat videos. And for some people, even that's not good news. You're not going to get good news on the Montreal Gazette, except if you watch the Habs score. At least we hope that's going to be good news tomorrow morning. The only place you can get the good news that widens narrow hearts is from the gospel of Jesus Christ, is when you hear once again, and I hear once again, the message that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, that God would be willing to have you and I, sinful human beings, drive nails through his palms, nails through his feet, and that even in that moment, God would forgive you and say, I have come not to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. The more you hear that good news, the more you will find your narrow, dark, black heart broken and widened out. Because how can you or I continue to hate those for whom God himself bled and died on the cross. But that is the work of Jesus in you. It's the work of Jesus in me. And he does it through the good news that when we get filled up with that news, we no longer think the way we used to. And that's why Paul can say, now is the day of salvation. Now is the favorable time. Right now, at 11.32 a.m. at Ascension Lutheran Church in Montreal, the good news is happening and hearts are being widened. Do you believe this? Because Paul says you ought to. Now is the widening of hearts being accomplished. Today's also summer solstice. And I might remind you that that puts us six months away from Christmas either six months from last Christmas or six months from the Christmas that's coming up. More or less, I know we can quibble about the few extra days. And at Christmas time, we have all of our Christmas holiday specials that we like to watch. And one of them happens to be the famous story and TV special from lifelong Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod member, Theodore Geisel, also known as Dr. Zeus. And in Dr. Zeus's famous Christmas special, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, we encounter a man whose heart is truly hardened. In fact, his heart is incredibly small, and therefore he hates Christmas and the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. And then what happens at the end? What happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, 
that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. What made the Grinch's heart grow? How did his heart get widened? He didn't do it himself. He did everything possible to make sure that he stayed the Grinch, that his heart remained narrow, that his affections controlled him's inability to love what was going on in Whoville. What happened is that it was the favorable day. It was the day of salvation. And the Grinch heard the singing from Whoville. And there's a part of me wants to believe that Dr. Zeus really wanted to write in Joy to the World. And that is what changed his heart. The favorable day. The day of salvation was the day his heart grew three sizes. Even while he was still a thief, even while he was still, as the song says, a mean one and a rotten one, grace made his heart grow. So much that the Grinch, yes, even the Grinch, carved the roast beast. That is what the grace of God does for you and I. When we hear that good news, and now is the day of salvation, my friends. Let not your affections constrain you, but let your heart be widened that we might show the same love and grace to others that our Lord has shown us even while we were still sinners in the cross, in his word, and in his gifts. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you'd like to learn more, visit intheway.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless your week.